You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Jumpert. All right, and welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler, joined to my right by the one and only Ryan Shumper. Today is a beautiful day here in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is Wednesday, November 9th. We are recording here in the afternoon. Man, we got a lot of things to get into now that officially we have rolled into November. Ryan, how are you doing today? Oh, doing well, doing well. Glad to be uh, here. And wow, I think probably there's been a lot to talk about all year, but uh, between some basketball, between Georgia, between Missouri, between college football playoff rankings, pl- plenty to get to this podcast. Yeah, I was thinking about that yesterday when I was just kind of sitting down on the couch and thinking about what was coming next in this Tennessee world. And and not only is it a the conclusion of the football season, but it's a, a tight race for the football season. It's playoffs on the mind. It's, you know, there's so many conversations about what is going to happen in the postseason for football. So not only is that kind of added momentum in that direction, but then hey, you turn around, you have a top 11 uh, ranked Tennessee basketball team who hit the court on Monday to start up the season and uh, the number five ranked Lady Vols. They started their season yesterday on the road as well. Now, I do think that they'll probably drop a little bit after a season opening loss, but still, you look across the landscape and you see ranked teams everywhere starting their seasons or continuing their seasons right now for Tennessee. Certainly, certainly. And yeah, I think with the Lady Vols loss, uh, certainly the way it happened and the way that they turned it over so many times and uh, blew a lead was bad. Yeah. But I don't think just losing on the surface was maybe as bad as you would think for the number five team in the country. They were underdogs. They were on the road against a top top 15 team and a really solid Ohio State team. So uh, as Samantha Williams, their assistant coach, tweeted out today, or maybe it was even last night after the game, said, the Lady Vols will be fine. Put a bookmark in the tweet. And they, they have plenty of time. It's a long season. No one will be remembering this game in March. Uh, Maybe it'll be a sign of poor things to come or, or prob- the problems that showed up will show up all season. But one single loss isn't going to derail the year or anything like yeah. that. Hey, by the way, Samantha Williams, a really good TikTok follow. She is hilarious. That's right. She's yeah. got some really good content. I think I've uh, I've sent a bunch of them to you over time. Yeah, no, I think I, I knew that. I'm, I'm not on TikTok, but that, that was uh, – I've seen a handful of them from you or on making their way on Twitter. You know who is on TikTok? Who's that? Rocky Top Insider. That's right. They are. Rocky Top Insider on TikTok. You can go and follow us right there. We just posted a video a couple days ago. Hendon Hooker walking off the field of Georgia. Overrated chance going around. There were over a thousand comments to that video of Hendon Hooker walking through the overrated chance. People uh, people were talking about that this week, or at least kind of after the game through the weekend right there. Uh, a lot of people kind of had the mindset of, hey, you know what? They got the best of us then. But we would like to see Georgia again. That's at least the the consensus I got from people online talking about the game. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably the obvious uh, thought because if Tennessee wants to win a national championship, if they want to make a deep run, if they want to make the play, may not make the playoffs, but if they want to do something, if they make the playoffs, is going to have to go through the defending national champions and the Georgia Bulldogs and the team that uh, gave them a beatdown on Saturday. Yeah, well, let's let's kind of recap just for a minute that that beatdown that you talked about on Saturday. That was a 27-13 win for Georgia that has vaulted them into the number one spot in the college football playoff rankings. But, Ryan, just in the, in the last couple of days, going back to think about this game, hearing Josh Heupel and some of the assistant, really, coordinators talk about uh, just what they saw from the game on Saturday. Do you have any kind of final takeaways? Yeah, and I 
I don't want this, you know, I think after the game I said, you know, this game, the score was closer than the game indicated. And I still agree with that. And I still think that was the case. Georgia was very conservative offensively in the second half. But the, the one thing I would say is that I think the pre-snap penalties, the crowd noise, the atmosphere, I think that made maybe a, a even bigger impact than I thought at the time. Not that I didn't. Obviously, I could tell at the time it made a huge impact because it was very apparent sure. that it made a huge impact. And I was talking to somebody uh, earlier this week, and they were like, man, I've never really seen uh, a team and the players come out and say the crowd really bothered us. And I was like, well, you have eight pre-snap penalties. Uh, there's really no hiding from it, and, and there wasn't. But I think when you look at the fact that Georgia's game plan, which has been a lot of teams' game plans this year against Tennessee, was to take away the big stuff, make them earn it down the field. And that's a lot easier to do when you're Georgia and you have talent uh, abundance and five stars all over the field. But Tennessee moved the ball. I think that, that I say all just to say what I, I didn't I realize now more than I did at the time. Tennessee moved the ball better than I thought in that game. Like going back, they had a couple nice drives. It, it just seemed like they couldn't sustain it, and that was you know that's the game plan against Tennessee is see if they can sustain those drives. And the reason, uh, at least in large part, that they couldn't sustain those drives is they kept on shooting themselves in the foot with those penalties. I mean, you go into the second quarter where Tennessee has third and two, and that third turns into third and 12 uh, because you jump off or have a false start back-to-back plays. And those are just the, kind of the back-breaking mistakes that make life so much harder for you against a team like Georgia. And it just kind of goes into what we've talked about all year. If you're going to slow down Tennessee, get them in the third and long. And Tennessee, a lot of times when they weren't in third and long, made themselves in third and long because of those pre-snap penalties. And I, I think you heard offense coordinator Alex Golish kind of say a lot of the same things yesterday. Yeah, yeah that's exactly where I was going to go as well. I, I think you you heard him kind of – explain the game from his perspective yesterday and talk about how, hey, Georgia came in with a really good game plan and they executed it really well on that end. Tennessee came in with a really good game plan. It just wasn't necessarily executed well. And I think, Ryan, to your point, that is what you saw. And that's kind of why that sustainability was not there throughout the game, especially on offense. Now, there were a lot of fascinating portions and parts to this game, but I think ultimately one of the things that it showed me was just how important that kind of home field advantage can be, uh, especially across the SEC. Not only did we see that in Tennessee's game against Alabama, but, man, I, I really think the crowd was a huge factor in that game. Now, the interesting thing about that going forward is that if you do meet up with Georgia again, it's not going to be a 3:30 game in Athens, Georgia, that you have to kind of face against or, or at least is going to be a big obstacle on the road. But it, it really did just, did just kind of reiterate to me, man, how important a, ho- a true home field advantage can be because – for every reason that you just said, man, there were a lot of troubles that Tennessee had in that department based on miscommunication, based on pre-snap penalties, based on just not really able to get themselves up at the beginning of the game, and that kind of forced them into a position where they did have to play from behind, and that's not a position that Tennessee has played in very often this season. So for a lot of different reasons, I think that Georgia was certainly the better team at the end of the day, but it doesn't really change my opinion about Tennessee moving forward. I still do believe that they have the best offense in the country. I think they have a defense who is uh, who has been improving throughout the season and that a lot of the goals that they can that they wanted at the beginning of the season are still on the table maybe not that SEC title game anymore but certainly with a couple of things happening you could still make a run to the playoffs yeah you could and I wonder how much of a goal that really was before the season because the only goal we've heard them talk about is getting to Atlanta and I thought and everything you just said is right there's still a lot out in front of Tennessee to accomplish but I appreciated that bluntness and kind of non-excuse making from Josh Heupel after the game where I feel like Butch Jones there was always a spin, and someone was making that point for him in a question post game. He says, "All your goals are still out in front of you," and he stopped him. He said, "Well, getting to Atlanta is a lot harder now," which is his way of saying it's not happening. We're not yeah. getting to Atlanta. That goal is basically finished. Uh, so I, I appreciated that honesty from Heifel, but no, you're right. It, it is 
still a lot for Tennessee to play for. They could have a chance, just like we talked about a minute ago, to, to see Georgia again. And if they do, they'll still be the team with one five-star against the team with 15 five-stars, but they won't be having to do it in an extremely hostile environment either. So, by the way, that game between Tennessee and Georgia last Saturday, according to CBS Sports Public Relations over uh, actually just yesterday on Tuesday, that game averaged an astounding 13.059 million viewers, which is up 122% from last year's game. It was also the most streamed regular season college football game ever on Paramount+. Plus. So you take that, right, the 13 million that Tennessee and Georgia averaged. You also take the 11 million that Tennessee and Alabama averaged on the CBS networks just a couple weeks ago. Tennessee has the, now the two most watched games of the college football season so far, one being a win, one being a loss. Mickey Mouse has to be smiling. You know, Disney <laughs> and, and ESPN who bought the contract rights and, and will take over uh, here in, I think, 2024. So just two more, a year and a half more left of the SEC on CBS. It's these SEC games, I mean, they, they're, it's the king. It's the king of college football. It's its what people watch. I saw the number two game uh, on Saturday, as expected, was uh, Alabama-LSU that night game. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. No, Tennessee has uh, – Tennessee and CBS have been – Tennessee has been a good ally for CBS this year as uh, Tennessee's resurgence has, has really helped uh, – have a lot of people be tuning in uh, to these these big games, and that's kind of typically how how it yeah. is. Man, so that's what it is. It's only about a we'll finish off this this regular season, then you have next year, and then that's it. That's it for CBS and SEC, right? Yeah, that is, and I mean I, that goes back uh, a long time. I, I I can't remember exactly when the Bob made know when the official switch uh, to SEC on CBS was. I know it was. Uh, CBS College Football, they had like a game of the week in, in the 90s that often included, you know, SEC teams in Tennessee and such. But no, I mean, the, that's the big loss. Is, it has to be the music. I mean, it's got to be the song, right? It's, it's, Bam, it, no. everybody knows it. It's so unique. It is so memorable. It is right when you hear it, you know what it is. It, it, no, it really is. And yeah, the, the, that, that, that intro, that, the first three seconds, I mean, you, you know what it is. And it's, it's the best, uh, to me, the best song in sports and always has been. And I've disliked it in, I say recent years, it's probably been the last 10 years. CBS has not leaned into it. Like, they've had country music singers uh, sing the in- or an intro song, and they really haven't leaned fully in. I mean, there's a clip I, I tweet out semi-often, maybe once or twice a year, of Jim Nance calling a Tennessee-Alabama game in the intro of it. And just this song in the background with Jim Nance doing an incredible job of, of painting the picture and the scene is just it's so cool. It's college football as good as it gets. So I'll, I'll certainly really miss uh, that. I mean, I don't really care about the CBS broadcast that much. I, <laughs> I, I think Vern had an iconic voice, uh, though I don't think he was particularly good at doing play-by-play the second half of his career. Uh, but it's the music that I will miss more than the uh, production or the announcers over at CBS. It is triumphant. It is commanding. It is everything that you could possibly want out of an intro to the college football game. Uh, I mean – an intro to any, any sport. An intro to anything. That's yeah. right. You sit there on Saturday morning and you wake up and you've got your college game day, and that's such a staple part of people's Saturdays, especially if they're not going to a game. They're just kind of watching it at home. They're doing their own thing there. You wake up, you watch college game day. That's a big part. I, I don't know about you guys, but I have certainly – I've enjoyed college football, uh, college game day a lot this season. I think that Pat McAfee is part of that. I think it's just been a, a little bit of a different feel. But you get that, then you got to watch the early games – but then right there in the middle of the afternoon, you have the dun, 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 and it's just that triumphant feeling, man. It's a, we're gonna miss it. Yeah, it's 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 the best to me of the of the pregame songs. I've uh, there's some other good ones too. I've, I'm a huge fan of uh, Round Ball Rock and the old 
uh, NBA on NBC, and, and now yeah. to me it's hilarious. It's it's the Fox song on the Big East. Um, couple of things. Okay. First of all, yeah, the Ryan nailed it. The college football on CBS, the old cold opens that Nance did were legendary. And yeah. it, they they weaved the music into it. Nance did some of his best voiceover work back then because he seemed more excited about it then. It was less hello friends. It was more, you know, he was he was just excited. And um, they would last like almost two minutes. Yeah. I mean, they were great. And uh, and it was SEC and Big 12. There was a lot of Big 12 games or well, it was back then it was Big 8 and, you know, all that. What is the time range that we're kind of talking about with this? That was mid to late 80s. Okay. okay. Yeah. And uh, and that got me thinking, you know, because that music, like we just said, that's iconic, and it's kind of weird thinking it's going to be associated with the Big Ten, but life goes on. Um, the other one that came to mind for me, and this is going to show my age, and also this will be totally foreign to you two. We're going to play a little bit of Name That Tune because um, this theme song uh, for a sports entity was in the – Right around 1990, and you may not know this, but this is a fun fact that TNT used to have the rights to an NFL Sunday night game for a couple of years. Really? Yes. Um, Turner. <clears throat> yes. Huh. And they did a pretty good job with it too. I was trying to remember who did the play-by-play, -play, but Kevin Kiley was the color commentator, and he was great. Um, but their theme music, uh, I came across it. And it's just interesting when you think about the evolution. And, again, this is for NFL, not college, but I'm going to play a little bit for you. You need to take it in, see what you think, and then, um, you know, maybe give a re quick review. But okay. uh, here we go. It's got a build. Bear with it. Ryan bumping his, his well, shaking and grooving over here. It's a little, it's a little Miami sound machine. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it is. But, There's yeah. a lot going on. Okay. And they used to, you know, they'd have great video cut with it and everything else. It was back in 1990 when you weren't even walking this earth. Probably it was pretty, uh, pretty badass actually. Um, I'll let it. Okay, and then so you fast forward. Yeah, I mean, if if Dan Marino was playing on a Sunday night and and I had that Miami feel getting in for it, oh, be, yeah, be, yeah, be and fun. I, and then you know, and then it just got me thinking because there's obviously what we talked about the college iconic music for CBS, that music which was hardly iconic because they only had that NFL package for a couple of years, um, then the Fox music for the NFL, yeah. which is pretty solid i have to say but we haven't talked about this what about we've talked enough about thursday night football on amazon but uh -huh. um has, has have you thought it at all about have you listened closely to their theme music i really haven't to be I, honest I, I can't say i have either all and right. this is something i typically like to listen to and like to be a part of that conversation so all right well we'll do one more and then we'll let you get back to actually the real okay. content of this podcast but here we go this is uh this is amazon film score it is it's yeah. like totally orchestral yeah, i mean there, if you like go it. on youtube there's a video and it's like this 
enormous orchestra. Like, I think they did okay, it. Yes. Yeah. They now did it like in Poland or something. I mean, it's it's pretty grand. And I mean, if you think about it, I, it's, it's grown on me. I didn't like it at first. I actually like it now. I think that um, you think about it, all the money Amazon's spending, it's been well chronicled on the rights to the Thursday night games. Yeah. And boy, some of them have been duds already. Yeah. The money that they're spending for Herb Street and Michael's, supposedly, I don't even know Michael's deal, but Herb Street's making like a million bucks per game. Um, I mean, this, I guess it stands to reason that they're spending this much money on their music, too, that they're doing like a full movie yeah. score. I, I love it. You know, it, it reminds me of like, Reminds me of like Alvin Silvestre's Avenger score, right? Something with, with again, that kind of triumphant and, and you're right, the, the orchestra and, and everything that goes into it. Yeah, this is a, this symbolizes that a big production is on Exactly. Way. I will say that from a tune-in standpoint, you know, you, you want that. You know, when you call up the Amazon app on your smart TV. Yeah. They, they're smart. They put it in right there. They're, you know, when you go to what's available to watch on Thursday night, they have the game and they play that music. So, anyway, sorry, we digressed a little, but it's always fun to, you know, check out a little bit of the. Oh, no, I have one, even one more follow up just real quick. I, I was, once you said TNT, I, I Googled it real quick and I found this Wikipedia post. So we'll see what this is. But it says there was a college football on TBS back in 1982. Uh, and then a little bit later on, says that the theme music for the 2006-ish coverage was Nickelback's 2003 cover. Uh, hold on. Nickelback's 2003 cover of Elton John's Saturday Night's All Right for wow. Fighting, which was used as the theme song for TBS's Saturday Night College Football. So, Well, now we've gone too far. <laughs> um, huh. Yeah, no, I remember college football in 82, again, showing my age. That was like uh, Bob Neal was play-by-play, -play and wow. you know, his son Dave now does yeah. stuff. But, uh, yeah. So Turner has had their foot in the football world. They always have. Okay. I mean, well, they don't anymore, but they, yeah, they did for a long did. time. They sure did. Yeah, So that's interesting. Tell you what, first thing I'm going to do after this podcast is look up Nickelback's cover of Elton John, see what that sounds like. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the – I think uh, – that's like a great. That's a great song to have intro for a Saturday night college football game. It is. Then I Nickelback's kind of a weird <laughs> twist on it. You add that like but, mid two thousands kind yeah. of uh, you know rock grunge to it. I don't know. It's it's maybe fun. yeah. I could maybe it'd work. <laughs> what do you say we get back on track here? Yeah, yes. yeah. That was fun it. though. That, that was, was fun. You know, a big thing that people are talking about right now after the selection show yesterday, which was Tuesday night, and obviously talking about for the weekend that is to. Uh, to come for Tennessee and then everything else in the future as well is week two of the college football rankings. Now, Tennessee does drop a little bit in the in the order after the loss to Georgia. Here's how it goes now. Number one, Georgia. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, Michigan. Number four, TCU. Then you have number five, Tennessee. Number six, Oregon. And number seven, LSU. Also have number eight, USC. Number nine, Alabama. But I'm going to stop the list right there kind of behind USC because I think we can agree that that Alabama kind of lost themselves out of the route uh, into the playoffs there. So that's kind of your top eight right now. And there's so many different fascinating things to look at. But I want to start with the Tennessee perspective. Ryan, when you saw this ranking come in yesterday, were you surprised? Were you um, – what, what was your first reaction to that? No – I mean, no surprise. I mean, Tennessee is going to be four or five and – Frankly, I thought they should probably be B five, and I, I know a lot of people were were upset about that. And, and look, I understand the logic. If Alabama was ranked ahead of TCU last week as a one loss team, why wouldn't Tennessee, as a one loss team, be ranked above TCU this week? To me, that doesn't matter. I mean, it's 
if TCU went undefeated the whole way, if they went 12 and 0, they won the Big 12 championship. They went 13 and 0. They were going to jump Tennessee. If they lost a the game, they were going to be behind Tennessee. So, uh, to me, it doesn't really matter a whole lot right now. What that does show, what I think that shows, and Tennessee fans need to be aware of, is that. The Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Clemsons, the Georgias, the teams of this world that have been in the college football playoff a lot, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. And I think yeah. when you uh, start looking at Tennessee's path and uh, who could potentially get in and you look at you know one lost team in the Big Ten, whoever loses that Michigan-Ohio State game, whoever loses that game is going to have a resume significantly worse than Tennessee. And if Michigan loses that game, I would be shocked if Michigan gets in the college football playoff over Tennessee. But if Michigan wins that game for the second straight year and Ohio State loses – I think Ohio State might have some of that. You know, they, they do have that pedigree, and I think they might get a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt by, for the committee. So more than anything, that's what that ranking showed me. I don't think that ranking is going to matter any as it comes to whether Tennessee's going to get into playoff over TCU. I think that's always been as simple as if TCU goes undefeated, they're going to get in. If TCU drops a game and they're underdogs this week at Texas, they're not going to get in. So yeah, uh, to me, that's really more what that shows. But I, it wasn't when I saw that news when I was watching last night. It, that wasn't any big surprise to me. I think the fascinating thing about this rankings right here is that there is opportunity for chaos, and at this point, it looks like that chaos is at least going to be on the table for the next couple of weeks. And that's with LSU's ranking right there, at number seven. Now. The college football playoffs have never let a two-loss team into the playoffs. Now, they've been close before. I can't exactly remember what, what year. I believe it was Penn State. Yeah, in, in 2016. 16. And it's funny. I was talking about this with somebody back before the Georgia game, back before LSU upset uh, Alabama. But it's kind of crazy that Penn State didn't get in that year. Penn State beat Ohio State and won the Big Ten that year, and Ohio State got in over them, which feels like it, it could uh, – bode particularly well for Tennessee if LSU were to create chaos and run the table. The fact that Penn State, who beat Ohio State, didn't get in over Ohio State. Tennessee beat LSU, so you would think Tennessee would get, as a one-loss team, the benefit of the doubt in that scenario. Yeah, but that, but that's such a hard, you know, that's just such a hard situation because if you're taking, I don't think you're going to leave a, a SEC champion, LSU, who is playing great football at that time out of the playoffs. Maybe you do, but I don't. I do. You do. Yeah, just because of that precedent, or because of something else? Because I think they'll have two losses, and the team they're going to be competing up, competing with to get in is going to be Tennessee, and Tennessee beat them by however many thirty points under on, on their own field. I mean, the committee also that was the other thing interesting yesterday. And the, uh, Bo Kerrigan, the committee head, was talking about. He said the committee does not view Oregon's loss yeah. to Georgia any different than they view Tennessee's loss to Georgia because those games weren't competitive, which. I agree. Neither of games were competitive. Now, the range of competitiveness was significantly different. Georgia didn't score on seven straight drives like they did against Oregon, uh, or they didn't do that against Tennessee like they did against Oregon. Uh, but the fact that they made competitive losses uh, versus uncompetitive losses, that's that's a huge – they just said that's a t- big point for them. And Tennessee's game against LSU was not competitive, and that game was in Baton Rouge. So I don't see really any – I mean, I see the argument, but I, I think – I see the argument for LSU, but I, I think there's going to be too many things that are standing in their way where I still think a, a one-loss Georgia and a one-loss Tennessee would both get in over them. So let's talk about Tennessee's route into the playoffs, uh, if that all comes to fruition. Now, we know that Tennessee has to win out their final three games of the regular season, Missouri, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. But then we'll see what happens because there are a lot of interesting things on the table. Ryan, you're right. That Ohio State-Michigan game still is on the horizon. We know that the loser of that is going to be falling down a little bit. But I like what you said at the beginning, and I agree. I think that a Michigan 
I think that a Michigan loss is less troubling for Tennessee. Did I get that right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. T- Tennessee should be rooting for Ohio State in that game. And to me, unless – and I say that I don't think LSU would get in. It would certainly be a point of conversation, and it, they would be in the running for it. But unless LSU creates the chaos, to me, you essentially have four routes to teams getting into two spots. You have the TCU route, which is really simple. We, yes. we just laid it out. TCU wins out, they're going to be in. If they don't, they're not. Yep. And then you have a, ten, a second SEC team, which would be Tennessee, as one of those routes to get one of those two spots. Uh, and then you have the loser of the Michigan-Ohio State game uh, being the path to one of those other two routes. And this is obviously considering that Georgia and whoever wins that Michigan-Ohio State game are going to be locks to get in. And then there's the Pac-12 route, to, which to me is the most fascinating because you really you have three teams with one loss out in the Pac-12 who could all make a case if they went out and make the and win the Pac-12. Now, Oregon, I think, has the best case of any of those teams because their loss came against Georgia the first game of the year, and they've won every game since, and they've, they're going to play the hardest schedule of any of those teams. But both USC and UCLA, who they'll play each other here in two weeks, and uh, I believe that game's uh, – obviously, they're both in L.A., but I think that game's in the Rose Bowl, uh, UCLA's home stadium. Uh, whoever wins that game is going to be – facing most likely, you know, you would think Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. And if there is a Pac-12 champion with one loss, I think they have a pretty good argument. Now it'll depend who. Oregon will have the best argument, and I think it would go to USC and USC's brand and getting in a a USC team that's one of the flashiest in college football with a first-year coach in Lincoln Riley I think would certainly be something the committee would like to do. And then UCLA also has a case to be made, but I think it's a much smaller one. Yeah, UCLA down there at number 12, obviously USC at number 8, and Oregon at number 6. Now, I, I do think that there is value right there, and there is importance to the committee putting Tennessee at that first team on the outside looking in. I, I think that is important because I don't see a situation where Tennessee moves themselves out of that position by by loss. Uh, but we know that also, and, and this was talked about by Kirk Herstreet on the uh, on the ranking show yesterday, hey, style points are going to be important going forward. Tennessee's got three opportunities to get those style points coming up to close out the regular season with Missouri, South Carolina on the road under the lights, and then going to Vanderbilt as well, which, hey, I think if you're early kind of projecting that game, there's going to be a lot of Tennessee fans there. That could almost be kind of a a pseudo-home game right there in the mid-state to close the season. But I do think that there's opportunities for style points, and I think that if you're Tennessee, you're at the place where you want to be. I think right on the outside looking in as that next team in, this is a good, good position. I agree, and to me, the Clemson loss just changed everything because Clemson seemed like such a lock to get in, and their schedule has is so weak the rest of the way, and it felt like they were undefeated. They were in the same spot as TCU. They were undefeated. They were going to get in. If they weren't, they're not going to get in. So that's where that loss, I think, is huge. And kind of going back to that point, I don't know. Did I mean, Herb Street seems to come off a little hypocritical to me with that take because he also said – Talking about style points, he said in the same way, it, it doesn't matter to me if you lose by 14 or if you lose by 40. I view it the same. Sure, it, it kind of gets down to the question, well, what are style points then? Yeah. St- are style points a just running up the score? Is it making a, a big-time play where you go viral on the internet about it? What, what is, is it Tennessee's defense, it's perceived weakness looking sure. better? I, I I don't know what that is. I, t- to me, Yeah, I mean, if Tennessee beats Missouri, let's say just for kicks and grins, 31-3, are those style points from Tennessee's defense? I, I don't think too many people are going to be giving them as many style points as you would with a 65-point game from Tennessee's offense. Yeah, no, I think so that's, that's kind of the, the interesting question there that you brought up, right, what, that they're talking about, well, what are style points, right? We know that Tennessee has an opportunity for some, 
but what are they going to be and how well are they going to be factored into the final decisions? Also, which which style points mean more than the others? I, I don't know. These are all uh, f- fascinating hypotheticals, but I, I, I agree with what you said. It's it's really makes an interesting point from Herb Street there that could go in a lot of different directions. Yeah, and I think... To me, I think the style points thing will be a little bit overblown. I think Tennessee okay. just needs to win, win convincingly. You know, it, it maybe they'll they could be afforded to play one. You know, if they play South Carolina close for a while and then pull ahead late down, that's gonna be any big di- big deal. But I think that's the thing that's gonna make this last month of the season both interesting and frustrating from the Tennessee side of things. Is I just don't think there's a lot left for Tennessee to do. I mean, they've played their hard test. They got yeah. three pretty easy games left, and I think it's just gonna be a lot. Now, from the team standpoint, obviously you got to be dialed in every week, and you can't be looking sloppy because you have to win. And if you Tennessee looks barely beat South Carolina and Missouri, now I think that could have an effect. Uh, but if they if they win, and it doesn't have to be with style points, but if they just win in games that aren't close, I think it's just going to be far more about what happens in the rest of the country than necessarily what happens for them. But certainly that will be you know, something interesting to follow in this last month of the regular season. Again, your second college football playoff rankings on November 8th. Your top 10 is going to be Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, Tennessee, Oregon, LSU, USC, Alabama, and Clemson. That right there is your top 10 for the college football playoff rankings on November 8th. All right, Ryan, let's go ahead and do this. Let's go ahead and take a quick break right now. Come back on their side. We'll talk about the Missouri game and we'll talk about a little Tennessee basketball. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. Final home game of the season for the Tennessee Volunteers coming up this Saturday afternoon at noon Eastern time. Your number five Tennessee Volunteers will be hosting Missouri, who is four and five on the season so far, two and four in conference play, and most recently just lost a heartbreaker to Kentucky in a a wild, wild, and let me go ahead and throw in the word bizarre finish yeah. as well because it certainly was. Yeah. Ryan, when you think about this game coming up, what, what stands out first? I think it's probably how much different this Missouri team is than last year. They're far from great. They're, I would say, a good distance away from good, even this Missouri team. But uh, they're, Tennessee scored every single time they touched the ball last year, just about. I think there was one time they actually turned it over on downs inside the Missouri red zone. So, uh, But they scored 63 points. They scored with ease. And the next Monday, Missouri's defensive line coach was fired, and at the end of the season, Missouri's defense coordinator was fired. And the Tigers have been significantly better on defense this year. I mean, they're a really solid unit, and I think you've seen that where this year, every single game they've played in SEC play has been close. Uh, they lost yeah. by three to Auburn. They lost by four to Georgia. They lost by a touchdown to Florida in a game they threw a pick six. Uh, they beat Vanderbilt by three. Their only game to date in SEC play that was decided by outside of a touchdown. Uh, they won by two touchdowns against South Carolina on the road. And then, as you said just a minute ago, they lost a, a close one in a very bizarre game to Kentucky last week. So they've been competitive with just about everybody they've played uh, this season. Kansas State's their one blowout loss. Uh, but I say all that. I, I do think you, you'll see Tennessee win this game handedly. And I think the, the 20 point, uh, point spread probably shows how, the expectations uh, for this matchup. Yeah, you know, they, they have certainly been a, I want to say a thorn in the side. Uh, of SEC competition this year. You know, not not obviously 
they have not been winning uh, many of these games. Obviously, losses to Auburn, Georgia, Florida. They'd get wins against Vanderbilt and South Carolina, though, but really just been a thorn in the side. I mean, we saw them play uh, Georgia very, very well at home. Uh, what was that, in early October? Maybe even that October 1st game of the season. So I absolutely agree with that, what you're saying, kind of the thorn in the side approach. Uh, Kentucky's defense, though, certainly leading this Tigers team. I believe they're ranked number 13 in the country right now in total defense, which is pretty good. Now, you also think about the fact that, hey, good defenses, though, have still had a very, very hard time slowing down Tennessee's offense. So if Missouri's at the number 13 total defense, Kentucky is at number 12, Alabama's at number 11. And if Tennessee put up, what, 96 combined points against number 11 and number 12, 13 can still be good, but it's still going to be a very big uphill challenge, especially when you have a Tennessee team coming back home, coming back in front of their home fans, and after the first loss of the season, I think this is a team that absolutely just kind of wants to get back out there on the field, get back in the end zone, and really put this game away. No, I think you're right, and I think uh, any sort of talk of like a full, true upset, it's just it's really hard to imagine because Missouri's defense got to do a ton. I mean, this Missouri offense is bad. <laughs> yes, it's a yeah. bad offense, and that's having a bad offense is not the the strategy to to you beat need Tennessee. Multiple scores from their defense, or yes. special teams, or something. Yes, I mean even to even get in the range, really. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's it's going to be a major challenge for Missouri to try to pull off an upset. Uh, Brady Cook, their quarterback, has not had a very good year. The offense has really been dreadful uh, for most of the season. They've ranked. You know, in the worst uh, worst two or three spots in, in just about every offensive statistic. But on the turn, they rank in the top five in about every defensive statistic. So yeah. it, it's an improved team. It won't The offense, Tennessee's offense, it won't look nearly as easy as it did last year in Columbia. Uh, but I, unless they got about 12 five-star athletes uh, that Georgia's going to hand them for this week, I don't, I don't see this being a game where Missouri's defense is able to lock down Tennessee by any means. And uh, I think this is a game where you'll see Tennessee's defense play well and uh, Tennessee's offense, like you said, I think will be very eager to to get back on the field and, and get the bad taste of last week out of their mouth. Yeah, absolutely. I also think just with the game being at home, with it being back inside of Neyland Stadium and the final home game of the season, I think fans are going to certainly pick up on that as we get later on in the week. They're going to be excited for that game, even if it's a noon game, senior day as well. I, I think that ultimately Tennessee is going to have the opportunity and maybe the more likely chance to win kind of those momentum swings throughout the game. Not that I think there's going to be a lot, but just one thing that I was looking at earlier in the week that I did find interesting, Missouri minus five turnover margin on the season so far, Tennessee plus eight. So there you go. There, there's about a, a, a what's that, 13 difference uh, right there. So if turnovers, I can see uh, being on the side of Tennessee a little bit there. Maybe maybe watch the watch out for the fumbling as well. But I agree with you ultimately. It's going to be for Missouri to uh, to to keep this game competitive throughout the game. The defense is going to have to really really light up Tennessee's offense, and I think they're going to need a little bit of magic from the offense as well. Just knowing what Tennessee's offense is likely going to do at home. Yeah, I think it probably would would be hitting some big plays for Missouri's offense, which Tennessee has been good at avoiding kind of the over-the-top pass this year until last week against Georgia when the Bulldogs had three of them on Tennessee in the first half. Uh, so that's probably the path. And it's going to take a lot of unconventional stuff to go right for Missouri, I think, even for this game to be competitive into the fourth quarter. So while it's an improved Missouri team, while I was going to say why maybe Eli Drinkwitz has – earned his extension I'm not I'm still not actually sure he earned an extension that, that seemed <laughs> that seemed a little ridiculous to me but and Eli Drinkwood's uh some say something nice about Eli part of the segment I think he's done a good job this year and his team is 
is certainly improved, and especially in Tennessee fans know this because they watch Jarrett Garantano play quarterback for three years. If you don't have good quarterback play, it's just really hard to win. And, it is. and Missouri doesn't. And the fact that they have been able to stay so competitive, really, for most of their season with the fact that they don't have good quarterback play is, is a sign that uh, there's been some good coaching on this team, and there's certainly a high level of buy-in uh, from th- this Missouri football team. Yeah, no doubt. And belief in their coach, I guess, is kind of sure. what I'm getting at. Sure, that makes sense. So, you know, Tennessee really did a, a bang-up job a bang up job in the run game last year. I mean, it, it was pretty unbelievable. I believe they went for over 400 yards on the ground or, or something around that number. Uh, Missouri going to be, you know, certainly focusing in on that this week. Eli Drinkwitz was asked on, what was that, Tuesday, I believe it was, kind of, hey, have you gone back and have you looked at that last Tennessee game? You know, wh- what are the real takeaways that you're that you're taking from that and you're putting it into this game coming up this weekend? He said, well, trust me, I, I have takeaways, but none that I want to share. So he's obviously keeping his cards uh, close, to his, close to his chest here throughout the week so far as Missouri gets ready for Tennessee coming up. Also this weekend, it's going to be Senior Day. A lot of seniors and really important Tennessee players, not just starters, but guys on the bench who have been really important to the culture of Tennessee. I think about a guy like like Solon Page, right? He, he has not been a starter, I, I don't believe, on Tennessee's defense. But, man, a really important guy in the locker room that we've heard for the two years that, that Heupel has been here um, and that we've been following the program. So a lot of big stuff coming up this weekend. Yeah, certainly, and I, I just went back and checked the numbers. It was 458 rushing yards last year. 458. I wrote that down yesterday for, for RTI on, on one of these articles, and I almost didn't want to publish it. I was like, this has to be, like, how is this real? But then going back and thinking about the game, watching some of the highlights, and it's like, man, Tennessee really did have their way on the ground. Tyon Evans was was phenomenal, obviously not with Tennessee anymore. Hinton Hooker, I believe, added about 70 or so with his legs. And then Laneith Whitehead. Uh, put up about 70 more as well. So some of the usual sp- suspects they are used to this year, you're Jalen Wright and Jabari Small. Ryan, you got the numbers right there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they were the uh, at the bottom two of the list for they Tennessee. Were. It was it was Evans, Hooker, and uh, Whitehead. So, hey, Tennessee certainly found success in the run game last year, but it'll be a little bit of different cats this year. And even a Marcus Pierce and a Joe Milton oh! uh, both had more rushing yards than Jabari Small, who had 38 yards uh, on three carries, albeit. So I think that's probably one of his games where his shoulder was bothering him and he had to come out early. Yeah. And Jalen Wright had 24 yards on four carries. But, yeah, Tyon Evans, the last time, the one and only time we ever talked to him, he said it that week before the game, we, we <laughs> finna have some fun. And the Tennessee running back room most definitely had some fun uh, against he the Tigers. He did say that, didn't he? <laughs> I had totally forgotten about that. Yeah, and they put him in witness protection until he transferred a month and a half later after, after he said something that interesting to the media. That's not the Tennessee style these days. That's right? not anybody's style. In college football, you say something like that, they might take you out back and shoot you. I'm, I'm joking when I say that. Anybody, I'm joking, but that's saying something interesting and uh, derogatory about an opponent is grounds to never speak to the media again in the college football world. We all remember the uh, the duck pulling a truck line yes. that that one tease Tabor said for Florida, and I think you're right to that to that extent. Uh, that'll get turned into bulletin board material real quick, and if it's good, it'll last a long time too. You even still see those signs at game day and stuff when Florida was here. There are still signs of ducks pulling trucks. People love it. Yeah, and then again. Obviously, I don't know because I wasn't covering the Florida football team. But I imagine Tease Tabor didn't talk to the media for a long time after that. So this isn't just a Tennessee thing that I'm getting at. This That's just how college uh, football programs are run. Any other final thoughts on this game coming up this weekend? No, not really. I think we hit it all. Yeah, I think so too. We will have our predictions out a little bit later on in the week, so be sure to be on the lookout for that. Again, RTI staff predictions going to be coming out on either Thursday or Friday this week. 
But Ryan, we only got one more thing to talk about so far on the show, and that's going back to last Monday. Tennessee basketball opened the season with a big-time 32-point win, 75-43 to if I'm not mistaken there, a win over Tennessee Tech in front of the home crowd at Thompson Bowling Arena. Big win for Tennessee. Little bit of a slow start, just getting on the court. Hey, first game of the season, maybe a little bit of jitters. I don't think it was anything that people were concerned about. But nonetheless, a little bit of a slow start there in the first half. What, were the, what was the first half uh, point total for Tennessee? 27? It was 27, yes. 27, there you go. And then the second half came around, and man, Tennessee really found their groove. They started looking like themselves, shooting the three-point really well. Got, got that 27 number all the way up to 75 by the time the whistles hit zero. Biggest takeaways from the game? I think it's that Tennessee is not going to shy away from shooting threes, which I, you know, we kind of saw that last year. But I think they even leaned into it more this, in this game in which they were 4-21 from three in the first half, which is why they just scored 27 points. I mean, they were dreadful shooting it, and they just shot. They shot more in the second half. And Rick Barnes, you know, talking about the post game, was very content with that. He said they they were packing it in. We could have tried to force the ball inside, but we have really good shooters. We're a good shooting team, so we're going to keep shooting it. And that's that's exactly what they did. And I think they shot right around forty percent, a forty percent clip in the second half. So uh, it was a lot more to, to what's expected. And uh, Tennessee's defense, again, it's not a major test, but I thought. Uh, that kind of is a small question this year with Mike Mike Schwartz gone and off DCU. He was the former, air quotes, defensive coordinator. Obviously, that wasn't yeah. an official position, but he ran the defense before. Yeah. Did a really good job uh, of it. So uh, that's – it looked really good in, in the debut. And, again, you'd expect that against Tennessee Tech. Uh, no major issues. I thought the offense, even in the first half, it was, for the most part, fine. There was one stretch where they got a little turnover happy, and it – uh, they were coughed the ball up, and I think the only other thing you really note from the game is that we saw Josiah Jordan-James. They said that kind of all preseason that we think we're going to have him back from the opener, we think we're going to have him back, but we, had never, we hadn't seen him you know, much at all. He ran a little bit of five-on-five five in the Thursday practice last week that we were able to watch, uh, but it, overall he, he had not done a whole lot, and the fact that he was back out there, everything is on schedule uh, for his return from what, an off-season knee scope, and as they took things pretty pretty slow, uh, with his progress, and he was on a minute restriction. He said after the game he needs to get in better shape. Uh, he's not 100% in that regard. He said his knee's 100%, but his yeah. uh, basketball shape isn't. So those were kind of my, my few takeaways from a, a game that Tennessee handled as it should have. You know, I, I know we talked about this guy pretty darn good a bit uh, after the Gonzaga game, and I know that we will be for the rest of the season so far, but, you know, Ryan, this Tyreek Keefella looks like pretty much everything that he was expected to be coming in. I, I think when he... When, when we found out that he was going to be coming to the Tennessee program, you knew that he was going to be a shooter, and you knew that he was going to maybe more importantly even bring in that experienced kind of command to the backcourt that I think Tennessee is looking for. And he had another great game on Monday night. 5 of 10 from the floor, 4 of 8 from three-point range, and leads all scorers in his first game with the Tennessee Volunteers. First official game, I should say, with 17 points. Also threw in four rebounds and got an assist. Uh, three steals as well. So not a bad game at all for Tyreek Key coming off the bench. Um, do you see maybe maybe him kind of inserting himself into the starting lineup as the season goes on? I don't think so because – I think he's going to be just. He's going to play this Kai Ziegler spark role off the bench. I mean, you look at uh, I, what the starting lineup is. I unless Tennessee go, if Tennessee were to start playing four guards in their starting lineup, I think you could uh, certainly throw Tyreek Key in there. But I, I think Barnes is pretty content to start two bigs and then uh, get into the four guard lineups as it gets into the game. And Tyreek Key, I think, is going to be one of the better scorers on this team. So I think it it was it, it's a fitting role for him to come off the bench and kind of provide that spark that Ziegler did last year. That they can't really afford Ziegler to do this year just because he's the primary point guard on this team. Yeah, it's not necessarily critical, but I think if you can have that really good six man spot. Uh, that can be a really big uh, uh, advantage for your team for the season. Certainly, and 
Uh, I think, you know, even you, you said that you felt like we felt like he'd bring shooting to Tennessee. And, and to me, that was kind of even a question mark because his numbers varied so much from his sophomore uh, to first senior season. Now he's a, a redshirt, uh, really a six-year senior because yeah. he sat out all of last year with an injury. Um, but uh, that was due to that injury, you know, his shoulder injury and his shot looks phenomenal. I mean, it's a really good looking shot. And 17 points was a very fitting uh, point total for him to score in the opener because he averaged 17 points in two of his four seasons at Indiana State. So that was a common number uh, all off season and stuff when you're kind of scouting and looking at Tyreek Key. was at 17 points per game and one game into Tennessee, he's at 17 points per game. Well, there you go. Hey, it's going to be a busy, busy weekend for Tennessee Athletics, and Ryan and I will have you locked and loaded on both Saturday and Sunday. Here's what you can expect. Coming up on noon on Saturday, we know that number 5 Tennessee is going to host Missouri. We will be inside of Neyland Stadium for that, so make sure you are following along with Rocky Top Insider for the Tennessee football game coming up this weekend. Then on Sunday... 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, 1 o'clock p.m. Central Time, Tennessee basketball hits the court again in Nashville. They're going to be playing Colorado. If you remember going back to last year, Tennessee had a game lined up for Bridgestone Arena against Memphis, but it got canceled at the last second for COVID concerns. So Tennessee going to be making that trip back to Bridgestone this weekend. Again, Ryan and I will be there for both games this weekend, one in Knoxville, one in Nashville. We will have you locked in for all of it. If you want to follow Ryan online, you can do that at rshump00. If you want to follow myself, you can do that at rick underscore butler. But of course, make sure you are following Rocky Top Insider on all the different social media platforms so you can be following along. That is at Rocky Top Insider on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. But make sure you're checking out RockyTopInsider.com for all of your Tennessee news, notes, and coverage. Ryan, I think that's going to be it for us. We're getting out of here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the RTI Press Pass with Rick and Ryan.